Today, Rich and I are sitting down with the host of the Tipping Point podcast and CMO of AnchorWave, Javier Lozano Jr. As an entrepreneur, he opened his first business in 2008 during the Great Recession and built it up over a decade before selling the business. As a senior level business strategist, he entered an unfamiliar industry, but armed with marketing strategies and sales systems that he had learned as an entrepreneur, he brought in new business and opportunities from Fortune 100 companies and some of the biggest brands in the world. Now he's on a mission to stop businesses from spending and losing millions of dollars on poor marketing strategies and broken sales processes. His company, AnchorWave, gives out customized digital media playbooks that lay out the foundation and next steps your business should take when setting up a marketing strategy. Please visit anchorwave.com slash playbook to set up a free playbook session. Enjoy the episode. Javier, welcome to the Entrepreneurs United podcast. Thanks for having me, Rich. I really appreciate it. This is uh, super exciting. Thanks for having me again, John, as well, too. So not again, but for the first time. <laughs> yeah, glad you're here. Can you give us a, a bit of a tour of your career and tell us about what you're doing now? Yeah, definitely. Uh, so I guess I, I usually, when I kind of tell my background about my career, I, I usually start when, when I started my own company. Uh, so 2008, as many of us know, it was the Great Recession. Um, you know, all the housing market was just um, dismantled. I decided to, to start a personal training in martial arts studio in 2008, right before the recession started. Uh, and then it was, we'd opened our doors, I believe, August 2008. Uh, as you and I both know, September hits and, and it's a complete recession. Everyone is, you know, pulling back on their loans. Uh, and that was where my career, in my opinion, really started. Uh, so I had two choices. I could either uh, fold and old probably, I don't know, roughly $300,000 in debt because of my five-year personal guarantee I signed on the lease, any other, you know, loans that I had pulled, all that other stuff, or just get really strategic and get amazing at marketing and sales. I chose the latter. Um, so I basically ran that company for just over a decade um, to the point where we were generating leads uh, on demand. Uh, I mean, anywhere from like 30 plus leads per month. Uh, we'd set up 15 appointments. We would then um, have about 12, 13 of those people show up and then we'd be closing at 90% from those people. So we had a system that was clockwork. Uh, so we got really good at just kind of creating that entire thing. Um, got really into the whole marketing stuff uh, to the point where it was my entire passion and focus. And so two, two and a half years prior to me selling the, the company, I decided to, to like, you know, kind of start thinking about this, you know, start talking to my wife about it. I'm like, should I do this? Is this something that, you know, that I should, like, I feel like I'm quitting. This is not the, you know, the, the area that I expected to be in. Um, and so I decided to sell. And typically, as you and I both know, if it's a one man shop kind of location, those are almost impossible to sell. I actually was able to sell it um, for multi six figures uh, because we created systems. And that's the one thing that, I mean, I know that we're talking to a bunch of entrepreneurs with your audience. That's the biggest thing I can probably even say, um, walking out of this entire conversation is create systems, systems that can duplicate yourself um, to where you can take a vacation and things still work. And I would even encourage people to say that um, if you're going to take a vacation, it doesn't work, then fix it next time when you take another time off or, or take a couple of days off, whatever, and fix it to the point where it's just kind of operating itself. Is it always going to be perfect? No. I mean, it doesn't work that way, but it should at least operate itself. So anyways, sold the business, um, did a little bit of consulting, kind of figuring out what I wanted to do. Uh, and then so I decided to start kind of jumping into looking for a job in corporate America. 
um, was getting a little flack from people that were saying that your entrepreneurial skills don't carry over into the corporate world. Um, the marketing is way different. B2C marketing is different from B2B marketing. And I call that bunch of hogwash. Okay. Um, and, and, and quite frankly, at the end of the day, when you're marketing to people, it's a human. You're not marketing to, you know, John uh, as, you know, company John, you know, you're, you're marketing to, to a person that has a need and desire and a problem that needs to have it solved. And so that's kind of was my approach. And so I ended up taking a, a job for a company called CMI Mechanical, um, which was an HVAC refrigeration company. They um, only worked on commercial, nothing else. Their biggest issue is that they were getting, you know, Sally calling saying, hey, can you fix my AC unit? You know, and they're like, we don't want those people. Uh, so in 18 months, I was able to start generating leads from companies like Raytheon, which I think most of us have all heard is one of the largest contractors, uh, defense contractors in the world. Uh, T-Mobile, Anheuser-Busch, um, Qualcomm, let's see, uh, Dollar General, which we ended up landing. Uh, and all these things, I, I, I use strategies that I learned from running my own business. It was a different approach that a lot of these, uh, you know, I could almost say this industry was not accustomed to seeing and, and, and understanding, uh, and it really worked. Uh, so I did that for about 18 months. Unfortunately, I was one of those people that uh, got cut because of the pandemic. Um, so, you know, just kind of happens. It, it, I think it was a blessing in disguise. So again, did some more contract work a little bit and then kind of started, you know, looking around. I found this, found this opportunity with my current company um, called AnchorWave Internet Solutions. We just go by AnchorWave. Um, they were looking for a CMO. So currently right now I'm the CMO for a marketing agency. And so all we do literally is, is create marketing campaigns, uh, marketing uh just strategies for our customers in the spaces like what you guys are going after. So, you know, people in the home services space, people that are entrepreneurs that have like three, four, five, six, seven, you know, type of employees, you know, maybe even more. But point is, is that we're creating marketing uh, campaigns and strategies for them. And so I see a lot of what other people are doing um, because our customers are experiencing this stuff. And then, so we start looking at it as and say, okay, how can we either, you know, mimic this, duplicate it or find a new angle um, for us to acquire new customers as well, too. So that's kind of what my role is at the moment. Thanks for that. Would love to dig in on, you had mentioned a uh, different marketing approach that people were not used to seeing in your uh, former career. Yeah. I'd love to hear more about that. What is that different marketing approach people were not used to seeing, but they were receptive to? Yeah, definitely. So it, I don't know how many people kind of are, are, are accustomed to hearing this terminology, but direct response marketing. Um, if, if you're not you know, really familiar with direct response marketing, it's what we see like whenever you open your Val pack, you know, there's like those, you know, 15, 20 kind of coupons. It's not just coupons. It's like things that are trying to get you to do something, to take action immediately. And there are certain ones that do it a very good job. Like the back of the magazines, that's direct response marketing. So I basically you know, while I was running my martial arts studio, I started getting into this whole direct response marketing. And I started following this guy called Russell Brunson. Um, and so Russell Brunson, um, I'm not sure if anyone's familiar with him, but he started a, a company um, called ClickFunnels. Um, he took it from zero to over hundred million in roughly five years with zero VC money, um, all backed by his different marketing campaigns. And so, you know, he, he really used the approach of direct response. So the reason I'm telling this quick little story is because that's kind of what I was doing for, you know, the, these facility managers I was going after is 
I was, I was doing things that were just creative. Um, so for instance, we had a, um, a conference to go to called Connects, um, which is one of the larger uh, facility management conferences back in 2019. Anyways, um, the, the, what I got tired of is you get an email, hey, come visit us at booth 207. You know what? I don't want to go visit you at booth 207. You've given me no reason to do anything. And so what I decided to do is like, all right, I got the list. And I started looking at it and I was like, all right, I'm going to start kind of like, you know, kind of like spreading some seeds onto this. So these people start seeing who we are. So what we did is, is I created a, a list and the conference was held in Denver. So I created a list of like 24 best places to visit in Denver. So from restaurants to um, shopping places, to uh, golf courses, to bars, because we're known for, um, so for our craft brew. So just stuff like that, 24 things. So I, I, you know, basically put it on the website, then I created a nice little, you know, printout, and then I mailed it to every single one of these facility managers and just kind of just told them like, hey, um, that was, you know, one of the things I wanted to do to kind of get their attention. That was, I, actually, I skipped one piece. That was like the second or third mail piece I, I sent. The first piece I sent is I sent the flip-flop. And so you might be wondering, like, why the hell would you send the flip-flop in the mail? First of all, it's bulky, okay? It's all kind of like, you know, all weird looking, and it's, and it's a big package. And then I, you know, labeled it. And inside at the very top, the header says, I just want to get my foot in the door. And then we just kind of mentioned that, hey, you know, we're national um, HVC company. We'll be at the, um, at the conference. We'd love to kind of talk to you if you have a chance, et cetera. Um, so I made it funny, but I tied it to the conference. And I use a lot of branding from the conference as well, too, to kind of let people know that we are part of this. We're going to this thing. Um, the funny thing about that, the conference people showed up with a flip-flop, like, where's the other one? And they weren't upset, but they understood what I was doing. It was, it was approach that wasn't done. And then after that, I did the, the little, you know, 24 places to visit in Denver. Another one, I sent the golf ball. So what it was is that if you went to our booth and you um, sunk a putt, because uh, we had a little putting green in our, in our, at our booth. If you sunk a putt, you'd be entered into a, a you know, a contest. And like, Hey, bring this golf ball. And it was all logo with our brand. Um, and if you can win something, that'd be great. And then, gosh, I did like one or two other things. Um, oh, I gave like a, a little like checklist of things that take to the conference to remember. And I put it in a, in a folder and I put their name on there. So I labeled it with their name and their company. So it's very personalized. And, and so what would happen is, like I would send these emails just to follow up like, Hey, I just want to make sure you got this in the mail or I want to make sure you got that. And people like, yeah, this was great, really creative. And that was it. I wasn't trying to pitch them. I was just trying to get them to know who we were. And so what that did is that that allowed more opportunities for me to talk to these companies without a, Hey, do you, are you looking for an HVC company? It's more like, Hey, what are you guys doing right now? Like, how's that working? And their guards were down. And so I use that reproach and not every single thing worked, but the thing is, is that the people that, you know, bought into it, it worked really well. That, that approach helped us land Dollar General. Um, and that's a, kind of a, another different story, but it was part of the process that like I'd call them after the conference. They're like, you know, we're not interested. Okay, cool. No worries. But, you know, not interested doesn't mean that they don't need you, especially in facilities. Like, let's just, let's just, you know, let's be adamant about this. An HVC contractor that screws up, you know what? You're not going to hire them again to go do, you know, another job for replacing or fixing something. You're hiring somebody else because you need your place cooled or heated or whatever it is. And so, you know, I, I basically said, okay, that's fine. A few months later, I put these people that were not interested into like a little um, workflow campaign. So they'd get an email, a phone call, and then a LinkedIn message. And I would basically follow through and they all built off of each other. Eventually, the VP of facilities for Dollar General 
uh, calls me on my cell phone. And he's like, Javier, you've sent me eight emails, four voicemails, and four LinkedIn messages. You now have my attention. And that started the conversation. And so that's kind of what I'm trying to say that my approaches were different. Things that I would do, you know, trying to attract the consumer that's trying to buy a consumer based product or service. I started doing that in the B2B space and it was killing it. It was, it was just destroying it. That's great. So you had sent a flip flop, you mailed in this uh, places to visit in Denver, the golf ball, you had a checklist, a conference of what to bring with their name on the folder. Yep. You just followed up to ask, did you receive it? And then you'd ask them questions about their business. Yep. What did you do at the point of converting from, I'm just trying to make a contact and get somebody to talk back to me. How mm -hmm. did you convert that to, so are you interested in what I have to offer? You know, I, I didn't even ask that. Uh, it, uh, there was never a, are you interested in what I have to offer? It was a, hey, who, who are you guys using right now for, for HVAC? Uh, like, oh, we're using this. How is that going? Um, it's going great. You know, okay. Is there any issues or problems or places that you're having that you're not getting the coverage that you would like? You know, like, no, actually, you know what? Now that you say that, there is one location. Do you guys cover there? I go, where is it at? I go, let me talk to my team and I'll, and I'll get back to you on that. So it was trying to see if I could make the facility manager a hero. And that's the thing is that a lot of companies are so self-centered. Um, and, I, and I mean this in a, in a kind way. It's all about them. Like the company wants to be the hero. No, you, you shouldn't be the hero. Your goal should be the guide. Because the way I explain this to some people is, is that, you know, we've all seen Star Wars. Is Luke or Yoda the hero? Like, we all know Luke is the hero, but really who gets the most attention? It's Yoda because of him being that guide, the guy that actually is helping Luke to achieve that success. And Luke couldn't have done that without this guy that knew how to do it. If you approach your, you know, your going to your, your, your future customers as that guy that's saying, hey, what is it that you're challenged with? And if they're like, everything's perfect. Hey, you know what? That's great. Is it okay if I follow up with you three or six, three to four months from now, just to see if everything's still going okay? Because as you and I both know, sometimes some things kind of break. They're like, you know what? I'd be, I'd, I'm good with that. And so there were a lot of times where I would follow up with people for 12 months. Um, it wasn't a pitch. It was just like, a, hey, how are things going? You know, uh, it, it, it's just kind of giving an update. When you approach it that way, you, you take away the sale. And you go in there as a consultant, as a person that cares. Sounds very similar to the idea of the make the facilities manager the hero to some of the concepts in StoryBrand. Are you yep. familiar with StoryBrand and Donald Miller's work? Donald Miller is one of my favorite marketers. Um, I would, I've got three favorite marketers. I've, I've got Russell Brunson, Donald Miller, and Gary Vaynerchuk. So those are, and, and it's no particular order. Um, I would put for me for today, those are it. I've read, I think all of Donald's books that have to do with marketing, not his uh, memoirs, um, not against it. Just, just, I, I learned about Donald whenever he was marketing stuff, but yes. Uh, and that's it. And then, I mean, when it comes to, you know, setting up websites, when it comes to creating campaigns, I, I follow the, 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 the framework that he has created, um, on how to essentially market your stuff. It's very formulaic. Um, it seems boring, but it works. Uh, and when you do it that way, all of a sudden, it's not like, what, I, what should I put here? What should I do here? It's just, this is it. This is the next step. Javier, you know, a couple of things that strike me as we kind of go through this conversation is, 
you're not just a chief marketing officer or chief marketing mind. You're really a chief marketing and sales mind oriented. And you talked a lot about processes and usually immediately when you start talking about, you know, you've got to create systems when you're going back to talk about your martial arts studio yep. and you got to create systems. Listen, you're talking to guys who love to create systems. Yep. Uh, back in the day, Rich used to go on boat cruises and would send me his cruise format system of what I needed to bring, <laughs> what I needed to do, what time bingo was, you know, oh, man. like we That's love awesome. to have those systems, but a lot of times it's hard for companies to implement. You know, it's yep. one thing to generate a lead, to get somebody to come by your booth in the trade show example, or to get someone to fill out an inquiry form. And what I see a lot, I'm sure you see a lot, probably drives you absolutely bananas is you spend all this money to generate a lead and then yep nothing yep the salespeople don't treat the lead like gold they try and be the hero instead of making the customer hero you talked about can you talk to me maybe about some of those you know sales processes you talked about a drip campaign as an example i think you know a little bit earlier yeah. where you have a workflow of emails and things like that but one mm -hmm. of the things that i read in your bio that drives you bananas Mm -hmm. Is when companies, you know, spend and lose millions of dollars on poor marketing, but more specifically, sales processes. Correct. Yeah, hundred percent. Walk and us through a little bit of the mistakes you see companies make in this area and how you would suggest they correct them. Okay. Let me tell you how I did it in my studio, so you have an idea, and then I can kind of go over some of those mistakes. So, so essentially, what would happen for our businesses is, first of all, you know, we 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 had a, a very solid website. It was clean. It was direct. Um, we didn't give a lot of information. And so it was enough to where people were like, oh, this is great. I want to see the schedule. And so you had to opt in to get the schedule. And so some people were like, that's a, that's a fair trade. Other people didn't like it. You know what? You're not going to make everybody happy. It's just what it is, right? So you opted in to see the schedule and then you would get a schedule. And then on the second page, whenever you opted in, you would then get um, a special. And it, the special was like two classes, a uniform, I think for like 20 bucks or something like that. That was like, literally I ran that special for 10 years. It's, 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 it's like, if you, if you run a, a, a sort of pro paint place, you probably have a special that you always go to. You're like, Hey, this just gets people in the door. You know, it's the same thing. But what I did is as soon as that lead came in, came in, I would call, I'd say within 15 and 30 minutes of that lead coming in. That's the number one thing right there is, is, is the follow-up. Some people are like, well, I don't want to be, you know, you know, harping on them too early. Do you know what they're doing right now? After they opted into one, you think they just stopped like, yep, I found one place. This is a place I'm going to be going to. They didn't do that. They're searching for more locations. They want to see if they can find somebody else that's better. That's going to, this, you, you just met part of the need. Did you meet all of the need? Because they're not really sure. Because if they're completely sure, they would call you and say, hey, I need, to, I need you to do this. They, they're still looking. So that's the first thing is that you need to have a follow-up process. And so, you know, I would basically either get pings on my text messaging that I would say like, hey, you got a new lead. And so I'd look at it and then I would just follow up. You know, I'd be at the grocery store calling these people or whatever. Um, so that was the first thing. The next thing is I had a set of questions that I kind of memorized, but they weren't like, you know, formulaic. They were like, they weren't like, you know, tell me about, hey, tell me. It was, you know, hey, tell me a little bit more about what you're looking for. Like, How'd you find us? And I, I kind of knew, but I just kind of wanted to make this thing kind of conversational. It was five minutes. Anything over five minutes in my conversation would not lead to an appointment because this person um, wanted all the answers before they can actually see the value. And so my goal was to just hit the tip of the iceberg that would just kind of almost, you know, um, just kind of like just give them the answers they need for now. 
And then from there, you know, kind of go to that point. So essentially I, I would ask them a few questions, you know, kind of solve some of their problems like, oh yeah, we, we definitely do that. It wasn't like this whole like, you know, dog and pony show or horse and pony show kind of thing. Um, it was, it was literally just like, yes, we can, we can solve this. And if there was things that we couldn't do, I'm like, you know what, we're not the great solution for you. We'd move on. So anyways, we would do that. The goal is to set them an appointment, I would say probably within a week. Um, so like, if not the next day possible, um, but anything beyond like a few days, it, it's bad. So if they came in on Monday, my goal is to get them scheduled for Wednesday. If they came in on Wednesday, my goal is to schedule them for Friday. If they came in on Friday, depending on, on what I had scheduled, I could possibly do Saturday or first thing Monday. But the purpose is that you want them as, you know, when they're a hot buyer. So you do that, follow up with them. That's the next part is that you need to have a follow-up process and saying, hey, just want to confirm that you're going to be here. So yes, phone call. I would have automated text messaging and automated um, in emails as well too. So they would go through my CRM and they would get automation from that. But I would also follow up personally or would have one of my assistants do it. Um, and then from there, they would show up. And then we had a system on how we, we talked to those people, how we essentially say, okay, this is the first thing. This is the first, like, we would like take Johnny and be like, introduce him, introduce him to a few things, et cetera. Um, he'd walk out, we'd do some stuff, very basic. And then I would do certain things that I knew would make parents cry. Like one of them was like, I've never seen my child stand still in my life. And I'm like, really? So I would purposely do certain things that I knew that would make a parent like, like, this is perfect. This is exactly it. And so you've got to find things that you always hear that are important for your customers. So it's always about listening, saying like, this is the number one problem that I have, you know, people always tell me. So then if you can show that value at the very beginning of a sales process, then they're going to be like, you know what, you, you kind of get me, you understand me. And then so they're already peaked. And so from there, it's, it's just then we would go into the close. And, and essentially, it was, it was very simple. It's like you have option A or you have option B. It wasn't like we have A, B, C, D, E, and F. Because at that point, it's overwhelming. It's just like, you have two options. Which one works better for you? And, and, and you just kind of do that. So that was something that I, I, did, I got very good at early in my career. Because what I realized, and this is exactly what you brought, John, is that I was generating these leads. But if I didn't actually start working them early, I would lose out on money. And again, this was during the Great Recession. So I got really good at closing these leads, coming in quickly, creating a system to the point where I could duplicate it. And so that's where I, I started removing myself from certain pieces of the puzzle. And I would put somebody else in there to do, to, to do that piece of the puzzle. And then eventually I removed myself completely from the entire thing, but it was just little things. And so I would just pay attention. There's this whole thing that I really believe in about self-awareness that you have to understand it's like, all right, this conversation isn't going well. Next time I have this other sales conversation, I'm gonna shift this pivot and make sure it goes like this. And then you just document it. And so some people have a hard time documenting this stuff sometimes, but video it if you can't write it down. Just like, yeah. like step, step one, do this. Step two, do this. It's really simple, especially with today's technology. Yeah, no doubt. So you know, we, you talked earlier about you know the direct response marketing that yep. generates the lead. What mm -hmm. you just said to summarize, I got a few points kind of in bullet point format was look, you get the lead, follow up right away. 10 to yep. 15 minutes, get on the horn, get them on the phone. They're hot. And by the way, I did this recently with landscaping. I went to the first company. I called them, got their voicemail, left the message. What did I do next? I went to the next landscaping company. Who's going to yeah. call me back first? Like, I need help. Right? Exactly. So uh, call them right away. Two, have 
have conversation questions and conversational questions in your head, not too long, but know what you want to ask. Try and find out what their needs are, but set the appointment. It was number three. Set the appointment within the week. Get them to come in and come see you or go see them, depending yep. on your business. Yep. Follow up to confirm the appointment 24, 40 hours beforehand that it's happening. Yep. But when, you, when they come in or when you go see them, have a system. Exactly yep. what are you going to do? Walk them through the process. Yep. Show them why you're going to provide value, obviously. Last yep. step, close them with one or two options. Option A, option B, don't have 55 different options. And then what you didn't say in this one, you said it earlier, is if you can't close them, you put them into a drip email campaign where every oh. week, every month, they yeah. may be getting continuous communication about you to keep yeah. you top of mind. So love that love that process and the way you you walk it all the way through. And I can think specifically of a business that I'm involved with where we're getting leads and what's the easiest thing to do is to email that person back later that day going, Hey, thanks for inquiring. Here's our packages. Here's what's going on. Well, if that's what we're doing and you're the competitor who's doing this, we're getting eaten for lunch. Oh, every day and twice right. on Sunday. <laughs> yeah. You know? So, it, you know, why, why is it so hard like you just like, I'm sure I'm, I'm, I'm looking at this and one of my businesses going, oh my gosh, why aren't we doing this? I'm the same token. I know better, but I just don't, we just don't do it. Mm -hmm. Why? What, what is the, what is the gap? What is missing there between the businesses that do this and the businesses that don't? I think people want everything to be automated to where they don't have to. It's just like set on autopilot. It's done. And, 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 and I, I, and I, I don't want to say this in a rude way because I know my competitors did this. But they just they just want leads to come in and that's it. They don't want to have to work for the lead. And it's unfortunate. But the thing is, is that you haven't earned anything. Just because you generated a lead doesn't mean that you, you're you great. Like, it just means that you're one of 100. You're one of 50. You're one of 20. Whatever it is, you're just one of. You're not the. And, and so I think that's part of the problem is that a lot of people, they see all this automation and they're like, well, I can automate that. I can automate that. I can automate that. And I'm guilty. I, hey, I, as, as a marketer, what do you think the number one thing I want to do is automate everything? If I could have a robot to follow up on leads, I would probably find a way to invest in that. But obviously, it's not going to sound good. So we're not doing that. But my, my point being is that we're, we're looking for shortcuts. And I think there are some parts of, of, the, of the sales and marketing process that has to be, you know, literally elbow grease elbow grease you know you, you got to go in there and work for it and other parts it has to be um you, you know automated or should be automated it doesn't have to be but should be automated so as far as like the email stuff like the reason i think some people um will send all that information is is, is part of it's probably being lazy other part is probably they don't, they don't know but here's the thing if you have all information in front of you, like how often do you read every document? Like someone sends you a bunch of information via email. Do you sit down and open the document and read every single line item? No. I, I mean, I've, I've opted in to email lists to see the funnel and, and, and get the lead magnet. And guess what I don't sometimes do? Read the lead magnet, the thing that I opted in for. And so that's the thing that we have to understand is as humans, we're, we're so distracted that that human touch has to be a part of it. And I mean, I don't care how you sit on the whole side of the pandemic, but it was very obvious that losing the human touch affected a lot of people. And so if anything, what this pandemic should have taught people in your, like in, in your audience is that the human touch is still important. That if you don't have that human touch, you're going to lose out to the person that actually shows that empathy 
that cares and understands. And so that's something that I think we, 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 this, this pandemic should have nailed for everybody is that they should have been like, you know what, I think we've been losing on some stuff. And, and, and they do that. Love it. I love, love, love your perspective on creating duplicatable systems mm-hmm. and then replacing some of the things that you do manually in that system, either through automation or someone else doing it. So ultimately you could take a vacation and the business really runs itself. Yep. After that vacation, what didn't run itself, go back, figure out what that is and figure out yep. how you can fix that part so you can take a vacation peacefully next time and the business can run itself. That type of perspective and the way you built it, you said led to a multi-six-figure exit for you. Can you speak to some of the other systems that you developed and ultimately were part of that exit for you that you were selling systems, not just a client list. You were selling systems of the business that kind of ran themselves. What are the other systems you sold? Yeah, so that's interesting. So so to kind of backtrack, um, I hired a broker to help me sell the business. Um, That's So if if any of your your people um, are looking at selling one day, exiting, that would be my advice is, is hire a broker. And the reason is because they're going to negotiate on your behalf. Um, and, and it takes things out of the way. Yes, I had to pay a percentage of whatever the sale, um, sale price was, but that, that made it simple for me. And they were finding people for me to, to, to talk to. So with that, I got rejected by a handful of brokers because like, well, you probably don't have systems. And then when I started going over my numbers, and, and they're like, you know, your numbers off the top of your head. I'm like, yeah, because I look at them every day. I read my PLs once a month. You know, I, I don't sit here and just, you know, teach classes and stuff like that. Like I, I'm, I'm running a business. And so this one broker finally um, was, was referred to me by somebody else. And we started chatting and he goes, you really know what you're doing. And so he, he comes in and he goes, so show me what you have got going on here. I'm like, all right. So one of the things is, is that our martial arts program, um, I got to the point where I would map out an entire year's worth of curriculum. And so some people were like, that's a lot of work. Well, it isn't whenever you, I, I break out quarters. So I'd say this quarter, we focus on this. And then in the, these classes, this is the stuff that we're going to be teaching. And then um, for each level or each, you know, uh, level of experience, they will upgrade to this kind of stuff. And, and there would be focus. And then we would do that for a quarter. And then the next quarter, we would have something else. And so I basically alternated. So like, you know, quarters one and three were kind of similar, but they were just different, a little bit different material, but very similar. And quarters two and four were kind of similar, but different material. This gave our clientele base something to look forward to. Like, oh, I can't wait to the next quarter where we're going to work on this. So you have that anticipation. So then you're lowering, you're lowering the whole, like, I, I want to quit because I'm, I'm tired. You know, it's like, I can't wait to work on this next. This is going to be really sweet. So you've got that part, right? And then what would happen is I would have assistants teaching classes. And instead of them saying like, hey, what are we working on today? It's like the schedule is right there, man. At 12.52, this is what you're doing. And it was literally down to the minute. I would say for seven minutes, you do this. For 10 minutes, you do this. For five minutes, you do this. And so I'm like, just do the math. Look at the clock, do the math, figure it out. And this is what we're teaching. And so there wasn't like a, like, well, I don't know what to work on next. Like you're working on this. It just says it. And so as, as our client, as our assistants started seeing that, they're like, oh, this makes a lot of sense. So then I could step off the floor. I can talk to parents. I can, you know, do a few other things. I can do whatever I needed to do. 
And then what I would do from there is I would watch how my team would perform. And then at the end of that class, I would sit down with them and I say, how'd that go? And they would say like, oh, well, you know, this, this went well, but I need to improve in this. Okay, cool. I agree with you actually. So then I was, I wasn't criticizing them. It was a, tell me what you think you did. And then after we kind of got on the same page, I'm like, this is what I think. And I think we're both on the same page, but that was part of it. That was the whole thing of, of like mapping out entire years worth of curriculum. And then just kind of giving that system like, Hey, just duplicate this thing. Okay. Um, we did that for like almost everything for the martial arts side. And then our personal training and fitness side, we had the same thing. I licensed this program that was called fit ranks, which was a, uh, a ranking system for fitness. Okay. There was like eight levels, think martial arts, but for fitness. And, you know, I basically mapped out, you know, curriculum for six weeks at a time increments, but then there was a formulaic way of how we put it together again, systematic. And so you would just kind of create the formula. You would recreate it every six weeks. And so you could, you know, sit down on a Sunday evening and, you know, do three months if you wanted to, whatever it is, but I, I created a, so that some people can change it up if they wanted to, but they follow the system. And then there was like rankings to it. Like, Hey, this is what you're working towards. This is what you're working towards. Not just losing weight. You're working, you're working to this level. So you have to do these movements. You have to do these many kind of things. And so what that did is that it, it kind of like helped people say, okay, I don't just go to the gym to work out. So when people was, when, when my broker would market this, he's like, this is the most systematic business of this nature that I've ever seen. And so that's kind of what we sold. Um, I mean, there was other software that I use and I taught them how to use that. And, and yes, I mean, running a business is part instincts as well too. You're, you're, you've, you've got to, you know, you got to be in the, in there, but there's systems that I just kind of started doing that. What got me to do that though, was reading a book um, called built to sell. That's um, a, I forget who, who wrote, who wrote that John Wor Nah, I forget, but it's called built to sell. Anyways. Um, he says something along the lines of uh, most businesses, most entrepreneurs basically bought themselves a job. And I was afraid of that. And that was me prior to reading that book. And so I was like, just dedicated to creating systems after that. Mm. And you know what's, what did you know it what's ultimately along that line, Rich, sorry, uh, is on the built to sell, um, you know, you mentioned earlier, uh, you know, most companies are self-centered and they try and make themselves the hero and maybe they should consider making the customer the hero. And there is a theory out there too, that your real customer is not the person you're selling to. The customer is the person who's going to buy your business. Correct. And it, under the whole theory of built to sell and you putting in all these processes yeah, you were putting them in for your customer who's coming in every night and, and you know, doing the, 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 uh, the, uh, the studio there, the martial arts studio, but you were really preparing it for the ultimate customer, which is the customer that was going to buy your business. Correct. And yeah. That is a real key to entrepreneurism that I think is a real key point you brought up. You know, it's funny you say that because the person that ended up buying my business was my employee. And so we, I didn't mention it to my staff. Um, for a few months. Cause I was like, I don't know. I don't know. And then I had a longstanding employee who has been, had been great. Um, and she'd been wanting to do more, but I'm like, I, I can't like, you know, like we're, we're pretty tight as far as like how we're doing things. So then one day I kind of approached her. I was like, this is what's going on. I want to bring it up to you because you've been here the longest. Um, you love this, this company. Like, are you interested? She goes, I kind of am. And so it, it took about, I don't know, four or five months of negotiations um, to figure out everything, you know, looking at the, at your, your, your numbers, all that stuff. But 
that, and then it's funny you say that too, because after I sold, we had a going away party, you know, on my, on my very last day. So one of my, one of my favorite customers, he goes, I wish I would have known that you were selling. Cause I probably would have bought it. And I'm like, are you kidding me? He goes, yeah. He goes, you, what you created was amazing. And I was like, huh, that's kind of crazy. I never would have thought that. And so I didn't know he was in a position of being interested because no one no one's ever approached me on stuff like that. So, so yes, I agree with what your statement because I mean, again, two examples. <laughs> I'm curious about your recommendation to go to a broker when you ultimately sold to an employee. You know, this was, this was something I'm not, uh, I wasn't, I didn't know how things worked uh, as far as selling, finding like how to promote your business to people that are interested in buying without revealing the company name. That was one of my biggest scares. And that was some, and then how to like, what to put together, what numbers are important to these people that are, that they're looking for, how to figure out what the multiplier is, because usually a business like mine, it's a one X multiplier and it's all based on net profit, not based on gross revenue. Okay. So we're, we're making, you know, six figures, um, gross, gross revenue, right. Um, but that's not what I take in my pocket. And so they typically take a, a multiplier based on net profit, based on this business, I didn't understand all that stuff until I started talking to a broker and they were, they would, that's what they would say. So then as I started, as they started looking deeper into my books, they're like, you have a six figure net profit. I was like, yeah, I know. And, and, and they were surprised. Like, yeah, you're not supposed to be doing this. Like, what are you doing differently? I'm like, I write a tight ship. Like I know exactly where things are going. You know, don't get me wrong. There are those months where you're like, where the hell did I spend this money? You know, but every business does that, you know? And, and so but that, that's why it's because there were certain things I didn't understand. Um, so what I wanted is I wanted to be positioned to get the maximum amount. And so it was valued. We valued the business at close to 2X. Um, we didn't get 2X, but we valued it so high that I was able to get a number that was reasonable, you know? And so not a lot of companies can value a company like this at a 2X valuation, um, and, and, and actually get really damn close to that number whenever they were done. Hmm. So you use a broker almost in a way to get educated on yep. how does this work in the selling space? Yep. Ultimately, on that particular exit, you didn't necessarily need the broker, but it, you still got the education on how does this work? Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I don't remember what he ended up getting, but he got, again, he got a percentage, but um, it was worth it. It was worth every penny. Um, just because there was negotiation going back and forth, there was, there was frustration. Um, I, I was get, things were getting personal for me because, um, like, I, I you know, I want to paint this 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 other part of the picture is that I started this. This was my dream company. Like, I went to college, you know, got a got a degree at CU Boulder for the purpose of opening a martial arts and personal training studio. Like, I wrote my business plan on this. Okay, I had the company name tattooed on my back. Like, this was what I was expecting to do until I was going to be sixty five years old. Like, this is what I wanted to do. And what I, it, it got personal towards the end, um, as any business transaction that people are very putting, put in the sweat equity. So when it got to a point where like, well, I don't know if this is really, you know, like, I don't think you're taking this as, as like to heart. I'm like, like how many people tattoo their company name on their back? I'm pretty sure you guys don't have a tattoo of your name on your back, you know, for, for your company. And, and, and so my, I guess my point being is, is that 
I wanted to set myself up for success. Um, and, and, and I wasn't aware how this all worked, you know, like there's certain things that I'm like, I trust my instincts. I trust my, my business. I, you know, IQ, I, I, I trust all that stuff. This was one of those. That I'm like, I don't know. Cause what, what I was afraid of is that if word got out that I was selling, then people would be leaving like flies, you know? Um, and so that's what I didn't want. Mm. Got it. When you put together this written curriculum and you talked about doing things on a quarterly basis or even on a six week or annual basis. So you had this curriculum that you wrote. You mm-hmm. also had these systems and processes that you documented that ultimately were part of the package that you sold. Yep. How large, uh, how many pages was this thing that you ultimately sold? Is this a hundred page document? You know, I didn't document like that. Um, so there are certain things I would write out. So for instance, uh, you know, like, um, so uh, curriculum, like just teaching, like lesson plans, that was all PDF. Uh, so I would write it all out. And then that was probably, I don't know, I put them in files. So I never printed them. I'm, I'm going to probably say like 20 pages, you know? Okay. Um, and then for like the sales process, that's all video because that's, that's the easiest way of writing it all down. Cause I just kind of put it in my head cause I, it's all in here. And that was another problem is that as an entrepreneur, you probably guys understand this, your systems are here and you're like, man, if I die, things are going to, you know, things are going to explode. And so we need to dump all this stuff out. And what's amazing about dumping it all out. You're like, Oh, I didn't realize I did that because you'll realize that there's certain instinctive things that you do that you just like, well, yeah, but then you would never think about writing it down. But when you talk about it verbally, all of a sudden it's like, I didn't think that that's crazy. I'm doing that. Okay. So, so essentially like the, that process, I, I, you know, verbalized um, the marketing process was a little bit of combination of both. Cause we did a lot of ads on Facebook. We did a lot of ads. We didn't do a ton of ads on Google. Actually, most of our ad spend was on, on Facebook, but there was a system on how I would do stuff. Like, this is how you create the post. This is how you do this. This is what you do here, etc. But if, and then there was also documentation that I had that I purchased from other companies or other, you know, other um, uh, courses that I purchased and say, hey, if you need help, you know, use this to help you, you know, understand how to run an ad on Facebook. So there was like pieces that I would, I would kind of use. So not everything was mine. I can't take full credit for everything. I had to learn something somewhere. Um, the other part is, is that I had purchased, you know, manuals on certain things and I would get ideas. And so that was all kind of put together. So it seems hodgepodge, but whenever you kind of like say, okay, this is how we do our curriculum. This is how we do our sales process, you know, cleaning, like you can figure that out, but I can tell you what we do for our cleaning. This is how we do our upgrades. And and so there was like slide decks, there was different pieces of the pie. So it wasn't pages and pages and pages of stuff. It was like, this is, this is, this is this. And then this was this, and I put it all in the file for them and they can refer back to it. So as far as the fitness side, the majority of that, since I was licensing this, was all was all from the the, the company that I was licensing licensing it from, and so he put everything together for me. The only piece that the the buyer had to put into it is just like mapping out the six weeks of curriculum. So I gave them this framework, but then they would just have to follow up and duplicate it, or they could just use the old stuff that I'd used and just say, "I'm just going to use this old stuff," you know, because it's already been done before. So it was all kind of there. Um, so. I, in my opinion, I think it's best to put it together that on how your brain works, you know, cause we, me sitting down and typing doesn't work for me. That's great. What wasn't in writing 
you ended up videotaping yourself on. I think that's uh, that's really smart, innovative move. I don't know that that would come naturally to the majority of entrepreneurs listening to the podcast is, you know, videotape yourself talking about some of the systems that you use. Yep. Uh, a question on your current role. You've been CMO for less than a year at your current company. Yep. What is it that has come easily to you in the transition to this role? And what so far has surprised you about being a CMO? Yeah, no, that's, that's a tough question. Um, so I, I will say that um, one of the most important things is, is, is basically like, is, is we're all going to be going through this like imposter syndrome. Okay. So when you take on a role that has a you know high responsibility, you're going to be experiencing imposter syndrome. And so when I was kind of going through this whole thing is like at the beginning of it, I was like, am I cut out to do all this stuff? And, and it's okay to feel that way. I felt that way when I started my first company, I felt that way, you know, when I went to see my mechanical, um, at, you know, doing the stuff that I was doing there for marketing and sales. And I felt that way here, in my current role. The next part is the what what came easy was was essentially like, like the the demand gen the lead gen kind of strategy that we had. Um, so I was looking at what they were doing. I was like, okay, I understand this. I got this. But like we want you to kind of find a new angle. And so so basically, what I did is I, I sat down and kind of started looking at competitors, and I started looking at what they were doing. Um, and then I started kind of seeing what we were currently doing and not changing a whole bunch of stuff. So like what I mean by this is that we would run ads on Facebook and I was seeing what the results were and then I would make tweaks on certain stuff and say, okay, I'm going to keep this, keep this, keep this, but just change this element and see what happens. And then we would keep doing that kind of stuff to the point where we just completely switched it over. And then we would have a number that we were benchmarking from previously to, to what we would be benchmarking now. So what I'm getting to is, is that the lead gen stuff, that sort of stuff came easy. Um, copyright, um, like copyright writing skills, like sales writing skills, that sort of stuff. As far as like, um, you know, landing pages, emails, I did that all the time when I ran my company that came relatively easy. What I find difficult, and this is the part that's really hard is, is mapping out strategies six months and beyond. And that is probably the hardest thing to do for any business. And I was listening to a podcast yesterday, actually, during my, one of my workouts, um, where, the, the CMO for this podcast, he was saying, he's like, we don't map out marketing strategies beyond six months. And I was like, that's genius. That is, it was the best thing I ever got. Cause I would get frantic anything beyond six months. I'm like, well, well things can change. Well, I mean, we, we could be doing this. And well, if this wasn't working as any smart marketer, you're going to pivot and go do something else. So why write something six months ahead of time if you don't know if this is going to be working? And that was something that was difficult. And so at the beginning it was, you know, our, and this is not a knock on my CM, a CEO. It's, it's just like, hey, I want you to give me a 12-month calendar of, of what you plan on doing. And I was like, crap. Because for the longest time, it was, I'm going to do this for six weeks and just see what happens. I'm going to do this for two weeks and just see what happens. It wasn't that I didn't have a plan, but marketing is, is literally trial and error. It's like, I'm going to try this. If this works, we're going to then expand it more. But you, you, you didn't spend all this time mapping out an entire campaign because you knew for a fact that this thing can implode and be like, I spent literally two months mapping this campaign out and it sucked. Yeah. You know, I think, I think especially too, Javier, because, you know, marketing right now in our current, you know, age, if you will, uh, is digital. 
Uh, it's less about, you know, what magazine full page ads are you going to have in next year's, you know, Vogue magazine. It's more, you know, instant uh, rap, you know, direct response marketing and it's, and it's active and the technology keeps changing. Yes. You know, one of the quick rapid fire questions I had for you is you mentioned CRM, you mentioned drip campaigns, you've mentioned video. What technologies are you using? Like what CRM system do you think is the best out there for managing leads? Oh man, that's tough, especially for your industry because how well, you manage think, it- Just think about it from yourself. If you had to okay. start a company today, your own company, yeah. and you had could only pick one CRM, you have to pick it right now. Which one are you picking? HubSpot. Uh, drip campaign. HubSpot would do it all for me. Uh, video technology. You guys are not sure to record videos and have them for your team. iPhone. iPhone. Love it. Love it, love it, love it. Um, you started your own podcast called Trust Tipping Point. Where does that title come from? What does the title mean and what's the podcast about? So it's a, it's a, it's a marketing podcast for people in the home services industry. Um, and we basically came with, like my CEO and I came up with a title because during one of our slide decks, we called, um, you know, one of the slides is called the trust tipping point. And, you know, before a customer buys, they are kind of like jumping on a mountain, kind of hitting different parts of the, like they're down here at the bottom. And they're like going like, all right, I'm going to see if like they meet this trust and then, okay, cool. Then I'm going to research you here. Okay, cool. You meet that one. And then until they get to the very top, because a lot of people, they think the way it works is that you run an ad, you send them to a a website or a storefront, and then they buy. And in reality, that's not the process. That was probably the process 10 years ago. But today it's you run an ad, you send them to a site, they go out to Google, they, you know, Google your company, they read your reviews, they go to, you know, Facebook, they like they, they're doing all this stuff. Yeah. And so that's kind of how we came up with a trust tipping point is that we're trying to let people understand that, that everyone is on a journey because I don't want to say this in a harsh way, but it's, un- it's unfortunate that people in the home services industry, whether you're commercial or residential, they feel like they get screwed on. And it's because there are companies out there that aren't displaying the amount of trust. And so if you work on that piece, what's going to happen? You guys have probably understand this. You will have a customer for life yeah. that if they're like, I trust them, I'm getting a fair price for my new HVAC unit. I'm getting a fair price for someone painting my house. You know, it's not like one company is, you know, 10,000 over or whatever. It's, it's like, it's a fair price. And they feel like I, like I'm okay spending this because this is the fair price. Yeah. It kind of reminds me, one of my favorite books of all time is The Speed of Trust yep. by, by Stephen Covey Jr. And, and you know, it's if, if trust is high, you can do things a lot faster and a lot more cost efficient or your costs go down, yes. which ultimately increases your margins, which is no surprise that, you know, if you're building trust, your martial arts studios example, your margins went through the roof and they were abnormal compared to the industry, your margins were so high, you were able to sell your business at a good value because you built that trust level with your client base over those years and repetitive yeah. customer base. So that's, that's fantastic. I'll tell you, I've, I've enjoyed the conversation. And if, you know, it strikes me that your future career potentially down the line, I'm sure you'll be with your current company for a long time. But if ever you were to think about something else, it seems to me like you have a natural ability to potentially find small businesses that are underperforming, don't have systems, don't have processes that can be bought at a one times multiple of net income and really maximize the value of that company. That might be your future calling in retirement and, and, and help businesses get to their max potential. Because you certainly have that, that ability with what you did at your martial arts studio. It took you a decade 
you could probably go into companies and help them in one or two years really maximize the value of that enterprise. So um, that, that's fantastic. And congrats on everything you've done. No, thank you. It's funny you say that because that's, that's something that is tink- tinkered in my head. Mm-hmm. You know, I was like, you know, I still have an, that entrepreneurial kind of, of mentality. You know, I still do that with my current role as a CMO. Um, and, I, and I enjoy trying to fix problems. And, and I find myself delving both in the sales and the marketing side. We have a great sales system, you know, by the way. But my point is, is that, yeah, I, I definitely see what you're saying. Well, so much of your story, I think, is going to cross over for many of our entrepreneurs who are going to get a lot of lessons out of this. So much appreciate your time today. Thank you for coming on. Yeah, thank you for having me, guys. This was a pleasure. I always like talking shop. Please stick around for a few more minutes while Rich and I break down this episode. John, another book I've not read. I am about to order it now. Built to Sell. Never heard of it. Man, do I love the concept. And what Mm -hmm. you highlighted on there and that uh, Javier was doing was ultimately building a business not just for the paying customer, but for the paying next owner. Uh, Other highlight I'll put in there, I really, I think it's near genius to do the video of the system. So many people just, they know what they do. They don't want to type it up. And then you got to put it in bullet point format and you have to proofread just pull up the iPhone, take a video of yourself doing the processes, catalog that in a folder that becomes part of the process that ultimately is sold in the business. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the, the concept on the built to sell, I I'm with you on this one. I think, you know, too many businesses and have your mentioned this are self-centered. How can we make more money? How can I improve my lifestyle as an owner? How can my employees enjoy their work more? Uh, all very important things, by the way. I'm not discarding that. But then there are people who come in and say, well, you should stop being so selfish. So I think what your customers want, because your customers get what they want, then your employees are going to get what they need and you're going to get what you need. And it all kind of goes that way. So take care of your customer first. So we have to be customer centric. But if you really think about it in the grand scheme of things, if you build your company to be sold and you think about the processes and the company morale you need to have and the customer concentration ratios and the balance sheet strength and your pricing structures and your just business processes, then your customers will be taken care of. Your employees will be taken. It all kind of flows right back downhill again, but then you're also building something that has long-term value. And there are way too many entrepreneurs that have lifestyle businesses. Their businesses make money, but the money they make are really the salary that the owner takes at the end of the day. And there's nothing left there of equity value. And really the one sweet thing about entrepreneurism is if you can build something that can be built like like Javier did, where it has the systems, it has the processes, it can last for another 10 years. Owners are going to want to buy that. You can create some good returns and it really improves everything downstream from the person buying your business to the customers, the employees, to the ultimate entrepreneur themselves. Just that lens built to sell. I think with that particular lens, even those particular three words, I think it'll change how some entrepreneurs make whatever decision they have in front of them next. Mm -hmm. It will change the cataloging of leads who don't buy, that they have more value. Like if you're just going after your own cash flow, maybe you keep them, maybe you don't. But if you're thinking of building it to sell, that's an asset you're going to keep and you're ultimately maybe going to market better. Yep. You're probably going to be even more careful with the money. 
You're going to document the wins in the lot. Like just the idea of that lens on every important decision that's made is you're making these decisions to build it, to sell it is just uh, mind blowing and critical. Yeah. I also say too, you know, one thing that Javier brought up was, you know, he really encouraged people talking to brokers. Well, one of the things that too many businesses do in the same vein of the book built to sell as well as hiring a broker is they think, you know what, I'm going to sell my business this year. Let me talk to a broker. And then they sit down with the broker and they realize, oh my gosh, my business is not ready to sell. If I did these five to 10 things, maybe it'd be a much better position. And why wait until you're actually ready to do that? Uh, one of the things that I experienced with the, with the company I was involved with is we went to sell the company, got 90% through the process. It cost us a lot of money and realized if we just did these five things, our business would be better positioned. We have so much more value. And we ended up not selling the company, which was a good decision ultimately. But we had to go through that learning curve to realize, oh my gosh, we're not ready to sell. Like we're, we're leaving so much on the table here. You could do that right now, even if you don't plan on selling for the next 10 to 20 years, because whatever that exercise is, bringing in a consultant, bringing in a broker, uh, your CPA firm, whomever, to evaluate your business with a different lens. Yeah, it may cost you 10, 15, 20, 50,000, whatever your business size is, but that value we paid back in spades if you can structure your business in a way that can be built to ultimately sell. You know, and, and I remember you actually weren't kidding about the cruise format system. <laughs> I, I don't I don't have it. It's probably on a floppy disk somewhere. But the idea of having these duplicatable systems and then I just love that you replace yourself in pieces of it and take a vacation and see what fell down. And that's where you want to fix. You know, I worked with a colleague of mine a few years ago and we worked on what we thought was going to ultimately be a succession planning module or model. And where we started was vacation planning. You shouldn't really start with succession planning if you can't even take a vacation from the business and know who's going to be driving the business as an internal. Yep. Yeah, it's a good way to start. It's breaking it down into pieces, right? And I think, you know, if you bring it all the way back down to where we started with Javier, you know, direct response marketing is the way things are happening right now. People, it, there's, we live in an instant gratification type of mode, and a lot of companies are trying to vie for your attention uh, to try and respond to something. You know, my, my kid responded, he saw a pair of shorts on TikTok the other day, and he's like, I want to buy these shorts. He saw it immediately. They kind of responded to him. We look up the company. They've been in business for like two months, right? Uh, they didn't hit our trust tipping point, so we didn't buy the shorts. But but my son wouldn't have known that. Like, we live in an instant gratification, direct response marketing world. Now, if you look at it from the lead gen perspective, way too many companies try and sell from the lead electronically without the human touch. And there's something Javier said that really resonated with me as it relates to lead and sales processes, which is if 2020 COVID pandemic taught us anything, it was that personal touch is still important. And way too many companies get a lead, respond via an email. Uh, you know, they don't pick up the phone within 10 to 15 minutes, call the lead and say, hi, Mr. or Mrs. Jones, or hi, whomever. We just received your inquiry. We'd like to talk to you about your needs. Tell us what you're looking for, what's happening. You know, and the companies that do that really beat people to the punch. 
and really satisfy that tipping trust tipping point that Javier talks about really you know helps accomplish that and starts building that long-term relationship. And you brought up and reframe the touch is so important. The yep. two concepts that I think can be blended are high tech and high touch. Yeah. And there are a lot of companies that can go too high tech and it's impersonal. A lot of companies can go too high touch and it's inefficient. Every company should have some blend of high tech and high touch. You reminded me of. Uh, last thing I want to highlight. I thought it was so cool that he just off the top of his head, here are my three favorite marketers, Gary V, Donald Miller, and Russell Brunson. And by the way, I've read everything that Donald Miller has. I've listened to everything that Gary V has done. Like, boy, if that's not a great lesson in and of itself, I don't know what is. If all of us were to pick something we want to major in in our careers as a specialty, and pick your three favorites who have a deep level of knowledge that you happen to connect with their processes and consume everything they have. You probably don't need much more than that if you pick three really good ones in a specialized field that's important to you. Yeah, the, the, I agree. And, and I, I'll you know, put myself on the spot here. I don't know if I could tell you, here are my top three influencers in my domain that I read everything they put out and do everything that they, that they do, but I agree with you. It is such a great example. And, and we had a recent guest with the table group, right? Uh, Gordon Blocker, who, you know, he's everything Pat Lincioni, right? Right. And he had a few other people as well that he followed. He knows exactly. I would suspect that you also have two to three that you are pretty dedicated to following. Is that, is that a fair assessment? I know you're yeah, big on Pat that's Lincioni, fair. example. I, you know, I, it may be, that may be an interesting one of our quarterlies where it's just the two of us. If yeah. we were to pick, each of our three and speak to the lessons that we learned from each of those three. So instead of revealing who they would be today on the spot, I'd love to think about it. And I'd okay. love to record something with you where we each share that and talk to each other about the lessons we've learned. I love it.